There was once a mountaintop with three trees high on the side of the hill. The first tree looked up at the sky and said, I dream of becoming a treasure chest that would be covered with gold and precious jewels. And I want to carry the most valuable things in the world. The second tree looked up at the sky and said, I dream of being made into a great sailing vessel that can carry the most important and powerful people on the earth. It can carry kings across the seas. And then that last tree on the mountaintop looked up and that tree said, I just dream of staying right here on this hill and being one of the tallest trees on the mountain so that when people look up at me, their eyes will be directed right up to God where I'm pointing. Well, one day some woodcutters came along and the first tree got excited when that woodcutter cut it down because it longed to go to a carpenter's shop and be made into a treasure chest. So that carpenter said, this tree will do, and he cut it down. That second tree that longed to be a sailing vessel as it looked over the stream saw a woodcutter coming, and that woodcutter chopped it down, and it was excited about hopefully going to the shipyard to be made into a great vessel. Now the third tree that longed to be tall and point people to God, it was really disappointed and it shuddered as the woodcutter came and chopped it down. The woodcutter didn't even look up to see what kind of tree it was. He just says, any tree will do. And he sent it to the lumber yard. Well, that first tree was taken to the carpenter's shop. And as the carpenter was fashioning it into a box-like shape, it got excited that it was becoming a treasure chest. But instead of a treasure chest, it was placed among animals. And instead of being covered with gold and emeralds, it was covered with sawdust and hay. That second tree, which dreamed of just being a mighty sailing vessel, was fashioned into a small fishing boat. And it didn't make it to the sea or the ocean, but instead it went to a small lake. And that third tree, which desired to point people to God, it was simply cut up into lumber. It was cut up into beams, strong beams, and left in a lumber yard. But one starry night, that tree which longed to be a treasure chest had a star that was shining brightly upon it. And instead of containing treasure, a baby was placed in it. And soon animals visited this baby and shepherds and wise men. And that lumber or that tree which longed to be a treasure chest suddenly discovered that it was carrying the most precious gift Amen. the world had ever seen. And that second tree which wanted to be a sailing vessel but was simply a small fishing boat. Some travelers entered into it one night and, and a tired traveler fell asleep. Where this small fishing boat suddenly got caught in a raging storm and was tossed to and fro. And it became quickly afraid that it was not strong enough to carry those passengers. But that tired traveler awoke. And reached out his hand and said, peace, be still. And that ship which wanted to carry kings and the most important people of the earth suddenly realized it was carrying the most powerful person ever created. And he 
was indeed the king of kings. And that third tree was shocked as it was yanked from the lumber yard and fashioned together. And it became terrified when a man's hands were nailed to that tree. And it felt awful and it felt ashamed. But on a Sunday morning, when the sun broke, that third tree finally realized that it was used as a testimony. And that for thousands of years, when people would look upon its image, it would point people to God. And even though it didn't stand high upon a mountain, it stood high upon Calvary. And it remained as a reminder that every time people would look at it, it would point people to God. My message today is that whatever we do in Christmas should point people to God. And one of my favorite Christmas traditions is chopping down the old Christmas tree. Some of you may have wondered what Judy was talking about, about this thing scaring her back here. And although it's not a tree-cutting axe, it is a mall. It's a pretty impressive-looking mall, if I might say. Some people claim they have an axe to grind, but I really do. But for centuries, people have labored out into the forest to find a tree to bring into their house during Christmas time. And I've always asked as a young person, why do we cut down trees to celebrate the Savior's birth? Well, we looked last week and we saw the origins of such uh, wintertime celebrations in Rome and in Germany where they brought a tree into the house called the Yule Log. And through the centuries that uh, uh, morphed into people bringing a Christmas tree. And, and decorating it and it becoming the center of the house. And so my message this morning is called the Born Again, the Born Again Christmas Tree. Because I want to give the Christmas tree a completely new meaning. Whereas when you celebrate it, it becomes a focal point of the Christian and the Christmas story. Now first I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13. And I want you to think of the Christmas tree in your house as a parable to everyone who comes and sees it. Whether you put up a real tree or a fake tree or if it's uh, 15 foot tall in your living room or it's a two foot Charlie Brown tree. Did anybody see the Christmas tree that was on the uh, bulletin board outside? Go check out that Christmas tree. It's on a bulletin board. And... Uh, Miss Jefferson did a fantastic job of creating a 3D image that conveys kind of what the sad Charlie Brown tree looks like. But I don't want your Christmas to be the sad Charlie Brown tree. I want your Christmas tree to really mean something and become a powerful image of the Christian story. I want us to look into Matthew 13. We're going to look at verse 31. I read this the other night on Wednesday. But as I started thinking about Jesus conveying stories of a heavenly truth with trees, this one stuck out. And I know some people weren't here Wednesday, so I wanted to read this one. 
Matthew 13, 31 says this. Another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seed. But when it is grown, it becomes greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Jesus was using a natural image to convey a heavenly meaning. Who did Jesus normally talk to? He talked to farmers and fishermen and carpenters and normal blue-collar people. And he used the normal things which they were accustomed with to convey a heavenly purpose. Jesus, wasn't, Jesus didn't have his doctorate degree in theology and have to give you an expository sermon that breaks down every scripture and tries to convey an intellectual truth. Jesus simply showed a natural image that conveyed a heavenly meaning. Now, I've got a bunch of other scriptures today. And what I wanted this scripture to do was to set up why the Christmas tree can be a parable. It's something everyone's familiar with. But it can convey a heavenly meaning. And I want to look at the ten steps of bringing a Christmas tree into your house. And how every step represents something in the Christian's story. So the first thing I want to look at today. And if you got your notes in your bulletin, I encourage you to take notes. The first point that I want to mention is this. The tree does not choose itself. No Christmas tree sprouts legs and walks into your own house. That would be pretty interesting if it did. But the tree does not choose itself. I think it was last year, me and Tyler Tyler and Bella went up to the mountains to one of these big Christmas tree farms. And just to give you a little statistics, between 25 and 30 million Christmas trees will be cut down in the United States each each year. It's a pretty big industry. So now back in the old days, dad and the kids and mom would just go out into the forest. Matter of fact, I think my dad went across the street one time out in the country and picked one out and brought it into the house. And that's how people did it. But what do you do? You go with the kids, you go with the family, and you look for the tree that fits what you need. If your living room's nine foot tall, you can't bring in a 13 foot Christmas tree like Will Ferrell did on the movie Elf. Okay? You have to have a tree that fits your purposes. And in the same way as you choose the tree, God chooses you. You see, you didn't just choose to be in the family of God. God came along and picked you out and said, I think Billy will fit. Or I think Charles will fit just right. God chose you just like you choose Christmas trees. And you choose it according to your purpose. And what a joy it is to know that just as you and your family walk through the Christmas tree lot, finding a tree just right for you, that's what God did on your life. And he walked through people after people and said, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose you to use according to his purposes. John 15, 16 says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So whenever you think about going to the lot, even if they already have it cut down, 
And you always try to find the pretty one, right? And some of them on the Christmas tree lots, you wonder how it even made it there. It looks like the back side was eaten up by a, uh, a chainsaw or something. You're like, man, I guess I could put that in the corner. But you try to find the tree that's got a nice symmetry and fits your purposes. In the same way, God chose you because you can be used according to his purposes. What a joy it is to know that God chose me to be in his family. God wants me in his family. God wants every single one of you here today as part of his family to be used for his purposes. Secondly, the tree must be cut down from its earthly foundation. Now, I don't know if people maybe used to dig up the whole root ball and bring the whole root ball in the house, but normally what I see is either a chainsaw or an axe go to work on that tree, and in order for that tree to be transplanted, it must be cut down. It must be cut down from the foundation it once had to be given a new home. And in the same way, you can't come into God's house and still have the foundation of the world. You can't come into God's house with all the tangled mess of root balls from all the problems in your life and expect God to use you. Some people want to bring all their, all their mess and continue in Christianity, but God has cut you down from the mess. And a tree that's cut down can be carried. A tree that's cut down can be going somewhere. It can be tied on top of a car. It can be brought into the house and get the little, uh, what are the little green things on the tree that fall off in your house? What are those called? The needles. Gets needles everywhere. Doesn't matter if you wrap it in a bag. Doesn't matter if you put down carpet. All the way, needles will be all over your house. And just wait till you take it out. But that's part of the fun of Christmas. Is that it must be cut down from the earthly foundation. To be given a new home. The Bible says in John 12, 24. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now here is the um, irony of a Christmas tree. Once you cut the tree down, it means that the tree will die. But the tree can't come into your house and be decorated and be lit unless it dies. Now do you see the testimony of the Christian story? God cannot use you unless you're willing to die to yourself. God cannot use you unless you have died to the old things. You have been removed from the old foundation. And you are willing to be given a new foundation and new life according to God's purposes. So you must be willing to die to self. We must be willing to be given a new foundation and no longer be attached to or rooted into this world. I'm telling you, this message will preach right here. It's no longer a Christmas tree. It's now become a sermon in your own household. We must be given a new foundation. Now thirdly, the dead stuff must be removed. What do I mean by that? The stuff... That can't fit must be removed. All right, you've got a Christmas tree stand. It might be metal. It might be plastic. Boy, I've ruined a bunch of them plastic ones. Those aren't worth the money you paid for it. 
But in order to make that tree fit, you have to cut off them branches that are hanging low. And, and if your living room you know, has a five-foot diameter and them low branches are hanging out six foot, you have to cut off something so it will fit where you want it to go. Now, I brought an axe here today, and I thought about bringing a chainsaw. But I didn't want people to get too scared. But you crank up the old chainsaw, right? You test fit your stand, and you have to start cutting the bad stuff off. You have to start removing stuff that is not going to fit the purpose you have for it. What does the Scripture say? In John 15, 2, Jesus said, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll even be more fruitful. You see, if there's stuff in your life that doesn't fit, God will remove it. If there's stuff in your life that does not allow God to use you where he wants to use you, God will start trimming it off. In what seems like pain, in what seems like a bad experience because God starts pruning you and starts disciplining, disciplining you, becomes God using you for his purpose. See, you can't fit what God wants you to fit unless he trims you first. And you know what else they do? They always cut off the bottom half inch or an inch of the stump. You know why? It makes it get fresh water better. It makes it drink from the fresh water even more. God cuts off the stuff that he doesn't want in your life so that you can become a better fit for his purposes. The dead stuff is cut off. He leaves the good stuff. Here's the good part. He leaves the good stuff. Now you think, oh my gosh, God's going to ruin my life if I become a Christian. No, the best stuff about you, God's going to keep. If you're already a talented person, if you're already talented musically, or if you're already gifted in, in some spiritual areas, as we talked about spiritual gifts, the best things about you are the things God wants to use for His kingdom. And sometimes there's things about you that you don't even know exist. For example, He'll take a shepherd boy and make him a king. He'll give you something even better than you even know is possible for you. But the dead stuff has to come off first. Fourthly, after the dead stuff is removed, after the branch is cut off, that tree is given a new home. My, my, my. It's no longer part of the earthly foundation. It's brought into the Father's house. It's given a new home, a new foundation, a safe haven where it becomes and, and it's, it's nurtured and where it's taken care of and where it's decorated. See, just like you bring that Christmas tree, which is spent years and years and years out in the wood, not doing any good for anybody. You now give it a purpose. You bring it in your house. And now it becomes the focal point of the season. And kids and, and families gather around it in the same way. When you was doing no good out in the forest of the world, God uprooted you and gave you a new place where He says, now you have a purpose. It's given a new home. It's brought into the Father's house where it's warm, where it's watered every day, where it's decorated. And it now has a purpose in the Father's household. Ephesians 2.19 says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. 
if I go to your house and I walk up on your doorstep and I knock on your door and that's your house, you say, come on in because it's your household, right? You are part of God's household. God doesn't just say, you're going to be my servant. God says, I'm going to make you a part of the house. Just like the prodigal son when he came home and the father put a robe on him and a ring and sandals and says, no longer are you a servant of the world. Now you are part of the household of the living God. You become part of the household. You're given a new home. And after it's got a base on it now, it's got a solid foundation, it's brought into the house, it must drink from living water. See, that Christmas tree won't last no time at all if you don't put some water in that thing. And in the same way, if you're a new Christian, if you're a recent addition to the house of God, and you don't start feeding yourself and drinking from the living water, you will start dwindling. I meet Christians who are like, well, you know, I, I got involved in church, I became a Christian, and I just started drying up. It's because you didn't thirst for the living water that will fill you, that will secure you, and make you a river of abundant life. That tree must drink from the living water. John 4.10 says, Jesus answered her and says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. That makes me thirsty right there. Just pause for a moment, okay? But you give that tree water, and that tree sucks it up, doesn't it? You first put water in a tree, and that sucks it up. That's why I can really tell a new Christian that's on fire. That new Christian, man, they'll get plugged into Sunday school. Man, they'll get plugged into the Word of God. They'll start telling me things they've read in their Bible. They'll start listening to Christian radio, Christian television. They'll start asking for sermons on CDs and books they can read. And they just start drinking it up. But then, those Christians that don't drink, and they start drying up. It's not a mystery as to what happens. You've got to drink. Drink as much as possible from the living water, from His Word, from prayer, from church, from Christian fellowship, from encouragement. I'm going to tell you what. You might not think that this preacher needs church, but I need church just as much as all of you. Because I, I'm, a, I'm a husband, I'm a daddy. Some of you go to work and you got to deal with customers all day long. Somebody was telling me yesterday they have a job in customer service and a lot of times they heal angry people on the phone. And I said, that's kind of like being a pastor. <laughs> but every time I come here, I get encouraged by people in the house of God. People in God's house who I hear stories just like Kathy writing words in the song. That encourages me to see how Christians are living. And when I come to the house of God, I feed from the living water of God's fellowship and God's salvation just as much as every one of you. You must drink from the living water. And after it drinks from the living water, step six, this is the exciting part. It starts reflecting its master. You got to climb all the way up into the attic. And you bring down boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff you didn't even know existed. And you find a macaroni angel 
that your daughter made when she was in kindergarten. You're like, man, I didn't know we had this stuff, but you know you're still going to put it on the tree. Because that makes you think about the good old days when your little girl was little or when you were little. Remember my mom always told me about her first two ornaments they ever had. She got a cheerleader representing her and she got a football player representing my dad. And every year they put them ornaments on the tree. And your tree starts becoming a history of your life. We have a tradition, Tyler and I do, that we give each other an ornament every year that represents something in that year. And Tyler found an ornament the other day. It was a glass dragon. And it has nothing to do with Tyler. (laughs) Every time I ask Bella what she wants to hear a story about at bedtime, she says, I want to hear a story about a big dragon. Little girls like dragon stories. Don't ask me, okay? I guess they like knowing that there's a knight in shining armor come to rescue the princess from the dragon. So we got her a glass dragon. Because I remember so fondly all those nights telling her stories. Same story every night about a big dragon. But you see, when you start hanging ornaments on that tree, it starts reflecting your personality. Starts reflecting your life. Starts reflecting things about you. See, the tree reflects its master. And in the same way, when God starts decorating you, you will start reflecting God. You will start telling people about what God is like. You see, you can come walk up to my Christmas tree, and you'll probably see some ornaments on it. Like, you'll know I like the snow ski. You'll know I like Spider-Man. You'll know I like trains. You'll know my wife. Uh, You'll see ornaments from our travels. You can know all about me by looking at my tree. In the same way, when people look at you, they should start knowing all about God. Because you start reflecting your master. God's going to decorate you with goodness. He's going to decorate you with mercy. He's going to decorate you with grace. He's going to decorate you with unconditional love. And people are going to come up to you and say, My, 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 somebody's decorated this person. And it starts looking like the master. And if we're not reflecting the master, the question we should ask, who are we reflecting? There's some Christians, some people don't want to go to church with, because they're reflecting themselves instead of reflecting the love of Christ. But God will decorate you. God will put ornaments on you. And just as I take joy in hanging those things up, looking at points in my life, God takes joy in decorating you with His goodness, with His grace, with His purposes, so you reflect Him. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. The Apostle Paul said, I don't live anymore, but Jesus lives through me. The prayer of Apostle Paul was, when you encounter me, I don't want you to know about Paul, I want you to know about Jesus. When you encounter Robert, Jesus doesn't want you to know about Robert, He wants you to know about Jesus. I tell people that Jesse died a long time ago. But Jesus lives through me. And I want you to know who Jesus is because of my life, not about me. You'll start reflecting your master. And people come in contact with you, they'll say, Oh, I know what their God is all about. After that, once it's decorated, once them ornaments are put on, what happens? You plug it in. And it gives light in the darkness. That tree gives light in the darkness. I want you to do something. Brother Eddie, would you turn the lights off in here for a moment? Just turn all the lights off. 
What happens with the Christmas tree is you turn all the lights off in the house. And it becomes the light of the world. I want you to see right now with every light turned off, what stands out? See, Jesus doesn't need light because he is light. And that Christmas tree becomes the light in the darkness. It illuminates the house. It's used for a purpose. You can turn them back on, Brother Eddie. Thank you. In the same way, once Jesus has decorated you, he now wants you to start shining before people. He now wants you to start giving light in the darkness. Because I wouldn't go outside and light up a Christmas tree in the middle of the daytime. Light does no good among light. And some Christians are content around a, being around a bunch of other bright people. But you see, you don't do any good around bright people. You do good in the darkness. God wants you to give light in the darkness. And so when God lights you up with His power, with His majesty, with testimonies about God working in your life, you will give light to dark people. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If you were with us during the Prodigal Son series, you remember me mentioning something called the Feast of the Tabernacles, which was also associated with the Festival of Lights. Now, last Sunday, we looked into the biblical timeline of when Jesus was conceived. And based on the birth of John the Baptist and the timeline knowing how far Jesus was born after, we can believe that Jesus was conceived at the Festival of Lights. Now, the Festival of Lights is one of the largest times in the Jewish calendar. And they would have these 80-foot tall oil lamps that they would light up and it would illuminate all of Jerusalem at nighttime. That was the biggest celebration of the year. Now, think about now in America. The biggest celebration of the year, Christmas time. Everybody lights their house up. Maybe God had a plan long ago that what was celebrated among the Jewish community about giving light to the world... 2,000 years later, would still be celebrated with people lighting up their houses, lighting up their neighborhoods, and giving testimony that the light of the world has come. We don't just light up our house because it's pretty or because it makes our electric bill go up $200. We light up the house because Jesus has lit up the world, and now we as Christians are instructed and commanded to shine. Now, the neighborhood we moved through, I'm start, I started decorating my house with lights in October. Everybody in my neighborhood knew I was the preacher. I didn't want no some non-church member to have a brighter house than the preacher's house. I wanted to know the preacher had the brightest house in the neighborhood. And I put up so many lights starting in October. that people would come down my street, and they, if they came for a Christmas party or something, I said, just come find the bright house. That's all you got to do. They come down the street and it looked like the Griswolds lit up the neighborhood. <laughs> you see, because people knew I was a preacher. And my testimony was this. Jesus was the light of the world and I want to celebrate it in the most extravagant way that the light has come. Amen. Christians should go above and beyond everybody else celebrating holidays. Go ahead, Christians. Put up all the lights you can do. Blind them Buddhist eyes during the Christmas season. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't say that. Let the Buddhist people know we love them. But we should celebrate it with the most of our ability as a testimony that the light has come. After it gives light in the darkness, point eight, step eight, it then receives gifts. 
You've lit it up, you've decorated it, you put lights on it, and then everyone starts bringing presents and putting presents under the tree. It receives gifts. Now, this past Wednesday, I spent the whole service talking about spiritual gifts. See, once you become part of the household of God, God is going to give every one of you spiritual gifts. And my message Wednesday night was the fact that this, every one of you has a spiritual gift and you don't even know it about. You see, because a Christmas tree is real pretty, but when the kids start getting excited is when all the gifts get underneath it. Because it means Christmas morning is almost here. And I used to go count how many have my name on it and how many have my sister's name on it. I say, Mom, I've got five. Adrian's got ten. What's going on? And five better be worth a lot of money. <laughs> but it's given gifts. And in the same way, God, with his children, give all his children spiritual gifts. So that people will see you and know that God wants you to be equipped and used and blessed for the kingdom of God. Some of you, some Christians are just bare trees. They're just trees existing and they have no gifts which are making them beautiful. But the scripture says, and this is the scripture we looked at Wednesday, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. God gave me a quote after we left uh, church Wednesday night. And the quote was this. If you don't show up to the house of God, the body of Christ becomes handicapped. Because you might be just the arm or the leg that the body of Christ needs. So we all come together and celebrate together. And it's the spiritual gifts that help us encourage one another. If you have a spiritual gift, I hope you're using it for the body of Christ. Because if not, the body of Christ is handicapped. Step number eight, those who contact the tree get sticky. Now, if you've ever reached in and tried to put your hand on the Christmas tree, you know that that stuff will get all over you. And I ruined a good pair of britches one season because I got tree sap all over it. And tree sap won't come out. But when people come in contact with you, they should walk away with a residue that leaves them knowing who you are. They should get sticky with the power of God. And later on, they look at their sticky hand and they say, I come into contact with something. And it leaves me with a memory. You see, there should be no person that walks into your life that comes into contact with you as a Christian and doesn't walk away changed. Because you are a testimony of the power of God. You're not just a church member. You're not just a man or a woman. You are a tree of God Almighty. And when people come in contact with you, they should get sticky. There's a situation in Acts where Agrippa came in contact with Apostle Paul. And Agrippa said in Acts 26, 28, he says, In a little, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Agrippa said, In just a little time I've met you, your character is persuading me to follow Christ. That's how people should act when they come in contact with us. Man, I don't know what it is about you, but I like it. When people come contact with you, they should walk away saying, I want what he's got. I want what that person's got. Amen? Amen? But a lot of times, people come in contact with Christians and say, I don't want that. Because Christians have been judgmental, or Christians have been hypocritical, or Christians have been legalistic. But that doesn't reflect God. What reflects God is unconditional love, mercy, grace, compassion. That's what will persuade people to become Christians. 
And finally, after all that, the final piece is the topper. See, after all the decorations, all the lights, all the, all the ornaments, everything, you save the best piece for last. And that's either what goes on top of the tree. Maybe it's a star. Maybe it's an angel. But something really pretty that you're going to put on top of the tree. If it's really tall, you can do like Will Ferrell and go and, and jump on the couch and land on it. If you don't know what movie I'm talking about, I'm talking about the movie Elf, which I'll probably reference a lot over the next several weeks because it's one of my favorites. But maybe dad has to get the ladder out or you, you lift up the little one, let him put on the tree, and it receives what I call its crown. You see, and as a Christian, every one of us has a crown to look forward to. The scripture says in James 1.12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You see, you've not even seen the best part. Your Christian life is exciting, but you've not even seen the best part, which is the crown that God has for you. I'm going to tell you what. I love Christianity. I love Jesus. It's more exciting than anything I've ever been a part of. I mean, I've skied mountains in Austria. I've, I've ate dinner on the banks of, uh, of Greece. I, I, I've been in, 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 in military airplanes and situations. I've, uh, I've, uh, I've kayaked down in Puerto Rico. But nothing is as exciting as seeing God work. And there's a lot of people who think stuff is what's going to make them happy. Man, if I can just have that kind of marriage, or man, if I could just have that kind of job, I'll be happy. But listen, if you will become content with what God has for you now... It won't matter what stuff happens. Maybe that job doesn't open up. Oh, well, I'm still happy. Maybe that relationship doesn't work out. Oh, well, I'm happy with the Lord. But when you will find your happiness with Jesus first, everything else comes second. May I recap just for a moment that the first thing is that the tree does not choose itself. God has chosen you for his purposes. Secondly, it's cut down from its earthly foundation. We're removed from the things of the world so we can be given a new foundation. Thirdly, the dead stuff is removed. God will prune stuff off of our life that's not beneficial. Fourthly, it is given a new home. We're brought into the safety and comfort of God's kingdom. Fifthly, it must drink from living water. And we as Christians must constantly feed ourselves on the word of God. Sixthly, it begins reflecting its master and looking like Jesus. Seventh, once decorated, it becomes the light in the darkness. Eighth, it receives gifts to be used for the encouragement and benefit of others. Ninth, those who, con con those who contact the tree get sticky. And lastly, the final piece is the topper or the crown that all of us have to look forward to. It's my prayer today as our musician comes forward that you become a tree used for God's kingdom. Maybe you have been sitting alone in the forest of the world, not doing any good and just being there and you don't think that there is a purpose to your life. But my testimony today is this, that God has a purpose for you. God wants to be you to be used to give light into the darkness and as a reflection of Himself to other people. Maybe you can say, Pastor, those qualities you talked about today 
about being given a new home. I've never experienced that. Maybe you can say, Pastor, I don't reflect Jesus because he's not my Lord and Savior. I want you to have a moment today where you can accept the invitation that God has offered to you and become part of a new household. May every head be bowed and every eye be closed for a moment.